you know, there's all these stories about, you know, guys over in Macedonia who are running these fake news sites. Number 24 is Content Farms in Macedonia. Bidiki ako se napravi greška, tak je bide kobna. Nema vrakinja nazad. So, Europe need to, to remain more sexypil lady in the world. Ajde, majkata! Gospode, čuva Macedonija in izinite gregi. Quote, the United States created the NLA and Kosovo. You created Ali Ahmeti. The United States is destroying my country, unquote. Macedonian President Boris Trekovsky to American diplomat James Pardew from Pardew's book, quote, Peacemakers, American Leadership and the End of Genocide in the Balkans, unquote. We'll discuss all of this and much more on this episode of the Macedonian Content Farmers Podcast. I'm Jason Migo coming to you from the foot of the Catalina Mountains in Oral Valley, Arizona. And this is Tretin Shilimanov in Skopje, Macedonia. Svetin, how are you? Uh, sweltering, uh, really. <laughs> yeah, again, I shouldn't complain to an Arizonan about the heat, but it's, yeah. Yes, you, it's, yeah, yeah. And again, just because it's hot here doesn't mean we like it. It's just, yeah. we, we know how to deal with it, <laughs> and we make liberal use of two things that Macedonians really don't like to use, although they have them, mm. air conditioning and ice, uh, especially ice and drinks. Uh, so I know you get Promaya from that, but... Uh, you, know, it, it, you need it here, so you, yeah. you can't live without it. So, um, I make a mistake. I, I don't go full blast immediately, and then you know, uh, <laughs> takes me a while to build up the arsenal of uh, uh, air conditions and uh, other stuff, and then <laughs> and then I overdo it eventually. Yeah, it's, uh, we're not as good at, at management as, as you are of, of climate. Yes, <laughs> well. We are recording this. We're in July. This is our first podcast of July. Today is July 6. Uh, this is episode 118 of the Macedonian Content Farmers podcast. We just celebrated uh, July 4, Independence Day, uh, two days ago. And uh, we're going to talk about that later. We're going to talk about Pardue's book. That quote that I had was from um, his book, uh, Boris Trakovsky to James Pardue. But let's talk a little bit about some news first. Uh, it's been a couple of weeks since we've recorded a podcast. Uh, the Bulgarians, again, um, vetoed uh, the uh, start of ascension, talk, ascension talks with Macedonia and the EU. Accession, not ascension. Um, I, I do have to mention this. I just noticed this. Merkel came out and said... We could not have predicted that Bulgaria would block Macedonia. <laughs> Who could have seen it coming? <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry, Fräulein. Uh, you and I, Svitin, have been talking about this and writing about it for years, and others have yeah. as well. But, uh, so I'm not sure if she was doing this as a dodge to cover her butt or what, but um, <laughs> it's just kind of... It, it's, it's so obviously stupid, it's, uh, it's funny. Um, but Bulgaria did uh, did did uh, veto again. Uh, Albania, of course, is tied to, to Macedonia, mm. so it's it's held back. Uh, the and and now we're in the Slovenian presidency. The Portuguese presidency just ended, and before that veto, um, and I can't remember her name. Uh, some Portuguese official oh, yeah. was uh, basically caught on tape uh, audio. I don't know if there's a video of basically taking taking the Bulgarian side in this whole thing talking about 
uh, the, a quote North Macedonian language unquote, um, and and but she got roundly criticized. And it was part of the Bulgarian language, she said. Oh yeah, right. It, it exactly. belonged so. to the Bulgarian language. It was some, uh, I mean, she was obviously talking to Bulgarians before she made the statement and. Yeah. Again, afterwards, so she's uh, she's the um, uh, state secretary for EU matters in the Portuguese uh, government, I guess. And then there is the mm -hmm. foreign minister. And the funny thing is that Zayev was placing a huge amount of hope in the in the Portuguese foreign minister. He was saying this is it's now or never. Afterwards, Slovenia comes and we discussed how Zayev was maligning the now conservative led uh, right wing led uh, Slovenia and the Janša, accusing Janša of trying to carve up the Balkans into ethnic states, uh, which would destroy Macedonia, obviously. So Zav was saying, we have a great proposal from the Portuguese. They're going to solve the issue. It's a very creative proposal. I don't want to go into details, blah, blah, blah. And um, the proposal is that we make separate statements. The Bulgarians say uh, the Macedonian language or the official language of the Republic of North Macedonia, blah, blah, was uh, uh, only, they would use something like, uh, was only... Uh, the, the people in those areas spoke Bulgarian, and then after '44 they began speaking, I guess, a dialect of Bulgarian, which they called the Macedonian, or which is now the official language. And uh, our side, our part here, would be to not protest this statement, mm. but to just to actually kind of like half uh, approve it. So uh, Zaev would say the government would say that. Uh, the uh, Macedonian language was officially codified in 1945, which is a fact. But he would leave out the part where he would he should say that you know it's obviously the product of millennia of evolution of, uh, uh, mm. and it's an organic language. It's not the fact that it's codified in 45 doesn't mean it was made up in 45. So this would be this was the proposal, <laughs> and Bulgaria said no, we want more. Uh, the unforeseen veto happened uh, uh, in the European Council. Uh, and then the, the Portuguese, uh, this lady, her name was Zacarias, the state secretary, who was apparently not very well involved in the negotiations as much as the foreign minister who traveled to Bulgaria, to Macedonia, with the European commissioner Varheli, etc. So this lady, I remember her name because it, it's Zacharias, which means sugar something, and the Bulgarian right. minister is Zakharieva, and we have Shakerinska, which means the same thing. <laughs> so she said it's the North Macedonian language, and it was part of the Bulgarian language. And Zaev yeah. went livid, and Pendarovsky, and uh, they sent like a note to the Portuguese, and uh, they got a response from this foreign minister who was helping them, who said, well, listen, we can't, you know, in as many words, we can't be... You know, required to remember every little detail of every dispute. Like, we talk to this person, to that person, whatever sticks, sticks. <laughs> you know, we are not experts on <laughs> Balkanology. <laughs> <laughs> and and then Pendarovsky said, "Well, good news is that the Portuguese uh, presidency of the EU is over, and we are now off to the Slovenian presidency, which they were they were maligning, as you know, as hard as could as they could before." And now they say, okay, finally, the Slovenians step up. The, these horrible Portuguese, which were the best thing ever until a few days ago, finally they, we are rid of them. And now we deal with the Slovenians. And first thing Janša said was, well, you know, uh, we understand the Bulgarian position, which you, you're, we have understanding for the position. And he said something like, Bulgaria should want 
uh, country which speaks a language so similar to its own to join the EU. So it was a nice charm offensive thing. <laughs> but was again, again now the SDSM people here are jumping on it and criticizing it. So it's a hot mess. The whole EU thing is a hot mess. Incredible. Oh, and, and, and we're going to talk about, uh, when we get into the Pardue book, about um, so-called experts that are yeah. deeply involved in <laughs> Macedonia and the region that actually don't know anything about Macedonia yeah. or the region. Uh, so uh, that's, that, that's good. That's a good background there. So now apparently um, uh, Jansa is saying uh, that there will be an opportunity for uh, a session talks to begin in October. Uh, he didn't say what year, but I assume it's this year. <laughs> um, if there is an agreement, there's that little two-letter word in the English mm. language, if, if. Uh, and, of course, there won't be because Bulgaria is, uh, you know, behaving like Greece did and mm. is a bully and demanding uh, the uh, ri the ridiculous and the impossible. Uh, and uh, actually, and I did see, I think it was over the weekend, is Bulgaria also now threatening Serbia and their accession talks? Uh, I don't think that much, but yeah, uh, I think it was like one of the nationalist politicians raising the issue because they right. have a Bulgarian minority there in the eastern parts of Serbia. And, uh, you know, the books, obviously, they're, they're actually, you know, obviously the Serbian books are in much worse, much more negative toward Bulgaria. They fought like half a dozen wars over Macedonia. So, you know, you, you can imagine the stuff that the Bul Serbian books say about Bulgaria and vice versa. Serbs like to use the term stab in the back from Bulgaria. We are here fighting the Austrians and then the Bulgarian stabs us in the back. So, you know, if I'm, I would call out Bulgarian people like, listen, why are you showing force on a small country like Macedonia? You could find just as easily just as many reasons to go after Serbia and block the Serbian accession talks, if, you, if you're being, you know, or, or, or Greece, I mean, there should be, you know, if we claim a minority in Greece, and, and if the Bulgarians claim that we are Bulgarians, by ipso facto, there should be a huge Bulgarian minority in Greece. But, you know, Bulgaria never tries its hand with a bigger country, just, just with Zayev. Sure. Oh, all right. <laughs> We will continue to follow that. Oh, we should mention that the Bulgarian elections are this weekend, I believe, Sunday, the 11th. Uh, we'll have to follow that and see what, uh, see if it if it's any different from uh, the last elections in early April, or if it's uh, kind of an Israeli situation where they have to do them over and over and over again, kind of like Groundhog Day with Bill Murray. Uh, uh, it's an Israeli situation or a Katitsyaneva situation in the sense that they're going really hard <laughs> against. Borisov, with charges, with, with, you know, with direct sure. prose prosecution of him by the government ministers. I think he still controls the prosecutor, but uh, they're using other prosecutors or the ministers, which should be just tasked with organizing the elections. They're really going hard, you know, just going through the files, the archives, accusing yeah. Borisov of this and that. So the government is openly campaigning against uh, Borisov. It was, you know, obviously appointed by the president Radev. So, but yeah, we should have some clarity next week and uh, uh, see where we stand. Yeah, all right, good. Well, we'll, we'll look for that. In the meantime, um, Vomero Dopamane has put, put forth a, uh, I guess it's a resolution, uh, 
mm-hmm. uh, on uh, that it, it wants everybody in Parliament to adopt that, um, I guess, solidifies or, or bolsters or um, mm-hmm. uh, talks about red lines, etc., but solidifies and bolsters, you know, the national identity, the language, etc. Um, mm-hmm. Talk, talk to uh, talk to me a little bit about that. <laughs> uh, well, uh, the resolution, after all the concessions that I have made to both, especially to Greece and then again also to Bulgaria, Vemera said, "Listen, we can't trust this person. He's going to sell us down the river. He's going to accept these types of solutions, like these formulations, like uh, we are." Uh, codified in 45 as a language, we are, uh, you know, arose as a nation in 45 out of, and you know, he will not say out of Bulgarian origins, but he would say like, we first established a state, a nation state in, let's say, 44, and uh, the Bulgarians will give a statement next to, next to him saying, all the Macedonians are, were Bulgarians since forever. So Zayev's statement will seem like he's agreeing with the fact that we were Bulgarians, but only became Macedonians in '44, So Zayef will do something like this. So Vimera made a resolution, which is you know, pretty nicely worded. It says uh, the, practically these things, which I mentioned before, that the language derives from, uh, you know, it's an organic language, evolution, uh, evolutionary uh, process of forming of the nation of the language like any other nation in the region. Mm-hmm. Uh, we cannot allow the, the dignity of the Macedonian people to be undermined in the EU accession process. Um, they offered it to all the parties. So the Albanian parties outright said, no, we like the fact that you're being pressured by the Bulgarians. We want to join the EU. We don't care that much about your national identity. Uh, is DSM had this extremely, I don't know, cheap response they say like, well, listen, we are sure in our identity and Mitskovsky is proposing this because apparently he's unsure in his identity. So the on, only a person who is unsure in his own self and the na- national identity would propose such a thing. We're not even negotiating this, why is he even proposing this? So they're like playing dumb and uh, very, very, you know, is this some like... Childish. Sidechka Finta, we would call it like this peasant trick. Like, uh, yeah, no, it's childish. Uh, and so what, but a few days later they agreed to it. So they, first they were accusing them uh, the, don't even propose this, and then they said, okay, we, we will sign on to this. So now we're thinking what's the trick now, whether it will be <laughs> blocked in parliament because uh, Vimmer is proposing it under the a proper name, Republic of Macedonia. We might have two resolutions with the same text, but Vimmer signs the one which says Republic of Macedonia. Everybody else signs the one which says Republic of North Macedonia. Whether is the assembly hope that the Albanian Speaker of Parliament will block it, will not mm. put it to vote, but they will say, okay, listen, yeah, we are protecting the identity, but it didn't happen because of Dui Talad Jaferi, the Speaker, something like that. So there is some trick because they really made a U-turn um, and we're not sure, or, or maybe they're hoping that, you know, we will adopt the resolution, then we will sign whatever we want uh, with the Bulgarians and we will declare, we will claim that it's in line with the resolution, but we will also then say that Vimmer is on board with this deal because it's Vimmer signed on to the resolution and this deal we negotiated is in line with the resolution. The deal may not even be that bad because the Bulgarians are aware that they can drag this out and make more demands in the future. 
So they make, might make uh, relatively you know, sensible demands at the start, but the end game is that Macedonian history books in schools say that we are Bulgarians and the, the heroes are declared as Bulgarian, etc. So whether they will try to front load it all at once or, you know, drag it out over, you know, like a death by a thousand cuts, mm. uh, it's up to them, whatever they think it's. I'm sure that, you know, they were under a lot of pressure in Brussels and Luxembourg. The U.S., the Biden was there and uh, uh, Blinken made a statement, the spokesman of the State Department made a statement. Uh, it, it, they were under pressure. There were calls made. <clears throat> so, yeah, it's, uh, they're, they're being, uh, the screws are put on them as well. But uh, so they may decide to drag it out. True. Plus... Plus, for, for the next month at least, six weeks, they can claim, look, we've got elections, we're, you know, after the elections they can talk about, well, we're, we're trying to figure out, you know, who's going to, you know, form the government, etc. So they can drag this out through the summer just based on that alone. Uh, and then we get into September and then, then uh, you know, we go from there. So anyway, yeah. we'll, um, we'll follow that. We'll follow this resolution. Obviously, you're right uh, when, you, when you cast a little bit of doubt on what's the game that Zayev and the uh, mm. Albanian parties are playing yeah. <laughs> because they are a den of thieves and they're Pharisees yeah. uh, and they're fools, etc. So um, they've probably got an angle, you're right. Um, mm. But let's, let's move on to, um, to the book here that, we, that I mentioned at the, at the beginning. Mm. Uh, and I, and I kind of want to start... Um, since this is uh, July next month is the 20th anniversary of the, the signing of the uh, so-called Okrit mm. Framework Agreement, um, they just had the uh, the Prespa Dialogue Forum or Forum Dialogue Prespa, whatever they called it, uh, the government put on in oh, yeah. uh, in Okrit and Prespa, and of course Ali Ahmeti was there, and they talked about the Okrit Framework Agreement, etc. So there's going to be in the next you know couple of weeks through August a lot of folks talking about the 20th anniversary, etc. Um, and it's important to remember that Ali Ahmeti started the war in 2001. He was a loser in the, uh, in the war in Kosovo in 1999, the KLA, mm -hmm. and he didn't get any of the spoils uh, of that war. And, of course, it's important to remember, too, that he was a Marxist-Leninist, maybe still is, uh, but he started this war. And hundreds of people died, were killed, thousands were wounded, people were tortured, kidnapped, sexually abused, and an entire nation was traumatized. And he has never paid a price for it. Mm. And that's wrong. And his statement at the beginning of the war, and I've got the quotes, was, was he was fighting, he and his people were fighting to quote, remove Slav forces from historically Albanian lands. That's a loose paraphrase of the quote mm -hmm. I'm thinking about. I have to go back and find the original one. And then when he couldn't win outright quickly, he changed his tune and said, no, we're fighting for rights. And I was thinking this weekend as we were celebrating the 4th of July here, the proximate cause of our revolution, the American Revolution, was that we did not have representation in the British Parliament. We were colonists, we were colonies, but 
we were ruled from a capital 3,000 miles away. What is that? 4,000? 4,000 miles away. We were ruled from a, a foreign a, a, a capital a long way away, um, and we had no representation in parliament. Mm. And, of course, then you, you get into the issue of taxation uh, without representation, etc. The in, in 2001, and prior to that, in the 10 years between the declaration of Macedonia's independence as a modern-day nation-state mm -hmm. on September 8, 1991, and the 2001 war, Albanians, Macedonia and Albanians, were represented in parliament. Yeah. So it's not that they didn't have, even if you were to take Ali Ahmeti's later justification for his war, that they were fighting for rights, even if you take that at face value, uh, which isn't true, he was fighting for land and power. Uh, but even if you were to take that, be generous, um, it's just not true. They had representatives in yeah. parliament. And I would submit that they were just lousy legislators. Yeah. You know? And and for whatever reason, they didn't fight hard enough for their what they viewed as their constituency and, and their, their wants, etc. Um, they just weren't very good. But... They had representation in Parliament, and you don't start a war when you've got representation in Parliament. Mm. Now, with that as an introduction, let's talk a little bit about this book from James Pardue. James Pardue was an uh, American diplomat after he spent many years in the uh, U.S. Army. Uh, he was involved in the countries of the former Yugoslavia from 1995 to 2008 in just about every country, save Slovenia. Um, he was the, um, George W. Bush's, um, envoy to Macedonia during the 2001 talks. Uh, he was an American ambassador to Bulgaria after that. He died in early June, so just last month, and, uh, this book was published in 2018, <laughs> I believe. But let me just start with the very last sentence because of the book, because it, it really... Uh, sums it up. Talking about the experience in the Balkans from 95 to 2008, uh, the very last sentence is regarding that involvement, quote, in doing so, the U.S.-led intervention in the former Yugoslavia provided lasting examples of efficient and successful American engagement mm -hmm. in world affairs. Now, that does not mean I'm an, I'm an American, I'm a proud American, um, I love my country, and mm. I think... Our involvement in, in World War II and other major conflicts around the world has, has benefited mankind. I know some Macedonians will disagree with me on that. Um, Not in World fine. War II, I suppose. On, on the other wars, yeah. yeah. And especially in Macedonia. Yeah, in some of the other wars, yeah. Well, don't forget this World War I, too. But, um, so he was, and he's got a whole section here uh, about activist diplomacy. But... So he was very much an interventionist, uh, very much of the uh, belief in, in a type of democracy that parallels, could parallel, has characteristics with um, totalitarian philosophies, mm -hmm. uh, something that uh, the Polish MEP uh, Rizard Legutko writes in The Demon of Democracy about the similarities between communism and small L, small D, liberal democracy. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's, Pardue was very much 
a adherent to that. But let's let's start with with this. Um, and again, party was first got involved in in the Balkans in Bosnia, uh, nineteen ninety five, with Richard Holbrook, who's also passed away many years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the Americans are offer, often uh, uh, accused of, of siding with the Muslims in, in southeastern Europe. And here's Pardue in his own words. Quote, The official objective of the U.S. engagement of the former Yugoslavia from 1995 to 2008 was not to help one group, but to re- restore stability to southeastern Europe and to end a general humanitarian crisis. Nevertheless, that's the key word, <laughs> nevertheless, the millions of Muslims living in the former Yugoslavia were the people who most benefited immediately from the U.S.-led intervention in the Balkans. The U.S. and international action to stop or prevent deadly conflicts saved countless uh, Muslim lives, defended their independence, protected their cultural identity, and guaranteed their rights as citizens. So, yes, he admits at least that it did benefit the Muslims uh, to a greater extent than others. The other thing I want to start with before we kind of get into the book is this greater Albania um, issue. Now, of course, there's, there's thoughts of greater Serbia, etc. But Pardue writes this, quote, Some fear the threat of a greater Albania movement in southeastern Europe, like the failed dream of a greater Serbia. Many expected the Albanians, with a common language and a common culture, to aspire to unify in the same way. However, I never found any convincing evidence of such a movement. The Albanians in each country were instead sympathetic but independent from Albanian movements in other countries, unquote. Oh, boy. <laughs> to which Alban Kurti, the prime minister of Kosovo, might say, hold my beer. Um, yeah. or, so, or Angela Merkel could say when, when they actually get down to creating great Albanian <laughs> earnest, well, who could have seen this coming? We really who could didn't... have seen this coming, exactly. Yeah, so. completely unexpected. <laughs> yeah. So... Um, Anyway, I just I find that I find that interesting um, that uh, he must have known about Alban Kurti, and mm-hmm. uh, I mean I think that's just I think he's being willfully ignorant in in, in talking about that. So, and I'm, I am by the way I am for a future column I'm working kind of a little more in depth on a on a book review here. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, but I mean for me having been involved in in the in the countries of Southeast Europe since 1990. Two, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was it was a fascinating read, uh, you know, especially on Bosnia, uh, etc. Et and it kind of made me mad when I read through this stuff on Macedonia. But um, but I'm glad I did read it, and, and that's why we're talking about it now. I want to go back to that quote I had at the beginning in the monologue. Mm-hmm. Um, he quotes Boris Tarakovsky as s- saying, "Quote: The United States created the NLA in Kosovo. You created Ali Hmeti." The United States is trying is destroying my country, unquote. And I can just picture yeah. Boris pointing his finger at Pardue and yelling at him. Yeah. Uh, because because Boris could get very, very emotional about things. Mm. Uh, and so now I sent you a little, little bit of the book um, overnight. I don't know if you had a chance to read anything. Yeah, that. yeah. Yeah, I also uh, noticed that I mean obviously he says in the book that uh, so they, they created uh, the US armed, trained, gave all the public uh, relations background uh, yeah. to the KLA in Kosovo. They, you know, famously, what was it like, Christian Manpur's husband, then husband was choosing ties for Hashim Tachi and Joe Biden later <laughs> yes. wrote that he's like the George Washington of, of Kosovo. 
so uh, and then uh, producers okay and then uh, after we created this huge uh, machinery uh, and, and you said listen the Albanian politicians are not such good legislators in Macedonia they were not bad legislators but uh, the thing was that the Albanians had this huge machine that was built to take on Serbia and now that once that they accomplished their goal with the US help in Serbia but the machine was still there a lot of money was still was still changing hands CNN was still there uh, State Department was literally you know staffed with people whose expertise was this small narrow conflict in the Balkans several countries across uh, the, the US actually had a huge lack of Chinese experts Russian experts uh, Okay, maybe not Russian, but definitely Middle Eastern Iraqi experts when 9-11 happened because all these uh, Clinton people and this guy was even from Arkansas were overly focused on uh, the Balkans, which is a minuscule issue, but apparently very lucrative. They managed to send uh, public funds into their coffers, drug money, etc. Uh, so um, they had this machinery and then they turned it toward Macedonia, because why dismantle it? it? Obviously, they were not gonna go back to being farmers or whatever they were, the Albanian guerrillas were doing before the, the war, or the lobbyists were obviously not going to go into some honest profession after the, the war. So this was the reason why they attacked us, not that the politics failed or were lagging, but they actually had the machinery in the US, obviously did nothing to stop them. Purdue explains in the book that if, uh, what was it like? If uh, Albanian guerrillas attack uh, Macedonia, it's one thing. But if they create disturbances in, in Kosovo, then we can intervene. But not. There is some stupid uh, bureaucratic explanation why the U.S., which had a huge deployment in Kosovo at the time, with a huge army base in Bonn, still and still has, mm. did nothing to intercept to cut the supply lines, or, or just you know just to put them on a table, you know, gather the commanders and tell them, listen. We gave you a solid, we did you a solid beyond any measure, you know, beyond anything you could hope for or imagine. And now you do this to a neighboring country? No, you stop it now and you mm. behave. I mean, it right. would have taken five minutes by, for, for any senior U.S. politician at the time. And, and the U.S. obviously did not do this. And when they claimed that there were bureaucratic problems like Purdue claims or that they were powerless to, you know, to stop the KLA in Macedonia or the, the NLA in Macedonia, NLA. they're, they're lying. It's, it's BS. Yeah. Well, actually, he, he writes here in, uh, it's on 263, I think I sent you that. He says, quote, if the NLA caused no trouble in Kosovo, K4 mm. was not a threat to it. K4 yeah. had no mandate to engage in counterinsurgency activity in Kosovo on behalf of the Macedonian government. Now, this leads me to something else that he completely avoids in his book. So, Svetin, do you remember NPRI? Oh, uh, yeah. Mass, that's uh, Military Professional Resources Incorporated. Yeah. It's a, uh, you know, for-profit group of uh, mostly uh, ex-U.S. Uh, military that uh, go around the world and, and train other armies, and, and, yeah. and that's all fine. Um, now, they were involved in Bosnia after the war there mm -hmm. uh, in uh, reforming that army, um, they were also involved in Macedonia yep. uh, in trying to reform the Macedonian army. Now, Pardue doesn't make any mention of that whatsoever. He lays blame entirely with the fact that 
the Macedonian army during 2001 was still operating in a, you know, a, a Warsaw Pact mentality mm-hmm. in, in fighting, um, uh, you know, the, uh, the NLA. And, and I think that's true. But MPRI had been there. What they accomplished, I have no idea, because I don't. They didn't seem to accomplish anything. Um, and of course, I have to. I have to mention uh, Henry Kissinger's quote uh, that the uh, the guerrilla army wins if it does not lose. The conventional army loses if it does not win. Mm. And that's what Ali Ahmeti and his his uh, his terrorist fighters were doing. Is they were, you know, changing in and out of civilian and military fatigues and hiding in, in civilian areas, etc. Um, so it's very hard to, to, to get rid of them. Um, I also want to mention, we, had, we, we talked a little bit about experts earlier, and I said I wanted to talk more about that, and, and, um, and I do. So both Pardue and uh, Francois Lyotard, who was the EU representative there working with, um, with Pardue, they had their own experts with them, of course, as, as is mm. typical. Uh, and uh, Pardue says... My expert was Laurel Miller. Laurel, L-A-U-R-E-L, Laurel Mm -hmm. Miller. The Ohrid Agreement is a tribute to her talent as an international lawyer and a representative of the United States. Before the negotiations in Macedonia, Miller had worked on the Bosnian Constitution at Dayton. She was involved directly in the new Kosovo Constitution, and she influenced the Macedonian Constitution as well through the Ohrid Agreement. Mm -hmm. I can think of no person with more impact on more national constitutions in the Balkans than Laurel Miller. Mm. So as we come up on the 20th anniversary, and as a service to our listeners, Laura Miller can be found at the Crisis Group in Washington, D.C. She is the program director for Asia. Uh, If you want to follow her and perhaps engage her in Twitter, it's at Laurel Miller ICG. That's L-A-U-R-E-L-M-I-L-L-E-R-I-C-G. Her email is lmiller at crisisgroup.org. And her address. Uh, <laughs> <home> address. <laughs> okay. So if you want to, um, again, uh, follow her and engage her, uh, be my guest. It'll be interesting. Mm-hmm. I follow her. It'll be interesting to see if she says anything about, uh, about uh, this. But, you know, she comes in. And sure, I'm, I'm sure she's an expert in, in the legal affairs and, and, and yeah. constitutions and things like that. But she doesn't know anything about the culture. And just yeah. because she worked on the Dayton, uh, in, in the Dayton Agreement and the Constitution in Bosnia, doesn't mean that she knows anything about Macedonia. Uh, and so, Laura Miller and people like her, the so-called experts, come into a country. They literally, not quite, not literally in the sense that Joe Biden used the word literally, but mm-hmm. literally parachutes into a country, uh, spends a few weeks, maybe a month or more there, uh, works with local uh, experts, and. Uh, uh, and comes up with uh, you know these agreements and whatnot. So yeah. um, she, uh, according to Pardue, she is responsible more than anybody else for the Ocrid Framework Agreement. So we'll just let that sit there. Yeah, I didn't know about her before. She hadn't. Uh, there was a lot of talk about Pardue. His handling with the, you know, as, as he himself says, somehow it turns out that we are helping the Muslims in the Balkans, which was a big deal, a big issue, obviously. And, the Balkan lord that the U.S. is uh, has picked aside and it's reversing the uh, you know victories against the Ottomans in uh, until um, 1913, 1912, and yeah. he's trying to you know reestablish practically 
parts, or, or, or that, you know, basically the Muslim nations here are more loyal to the U.S. as the U.S. is seen, you know, still fighting Russia, and we, the, the Orthodox Christians, are seen as more loyal to Russia, even though, you know, at least in Macedonia, we were absolutely enthusiastic to line up with the U.S., especially since we hadn't really gotten much nation state-wise from the Russians, like the Serbs or the Bulgarians have. We did not, do not have such huge amount of debt to Russia. And then still we get, you know, at the moment the U.S. is obviously not supportive of having a Macedonian nation-state in the region with, with all the consequences it will, it will entail. So Right. Let me also mention i want to i want to talk a little bit about something else that he wrote quite a bit about in the book um, and that is the role of nato um, so this is 1995 when he first gets involved in, in the balkans obviously the cold war has just ended the soviet union has uh, ceased to exist uh, russia has emerged the quote-unquote captive nations that were a part of the soviet union have uh, declared their independence or re-independence i think in the baltics particularly mm-hmm. And NATO, which uh, was created uh, after World War II in a in response to the the Soviet Union uh, and the Warsaw Pact countries, um, kind of finds itself without a role. Uh, there's no more bad guy out there. And uh, oh. so, what does it do? Well, this is what Pardue says. Quote, and this is page three twenty seven. The Balkan experience transformed NATO as an international security alliance. At the end of the Cold War, NATO was struggling to find its identity in the New World security environment. In the early days of the conflict, Yugoslavia was outside of NATO's declared area of responsibility. As events unfolded, though, NATO conducted air operations over Bosnia, Kosovo, and Serbia, and deployed expeditionary combat forces to Bosnia and Kosovo. From 1995 on, NATO was the primary instrument for military policy in the region. In Bosnia and Kosovo, it expanded its operational partnerships beyond its member states to include Russia and other non-NATO partners. It also refined its relationship with the UN and the EU through working technical arrangements with both organizations. These changes were revolutionary developments for the North Atlantic Alliance and a forerunner to subsequent NATO activities in Iraq, Afghanistan, and Libya. So, you know, it mentions, he mentions uh, out of area um, mm-hmm. or area of responsibility, but I think the, 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 um, the phrase is out of area. And obviously, NATO became much more than just a defensive organization. Uh, it mm-hmm. became an, an offensive organization with the first with the, uh, the NATO uh, uh, jets and pinprick strikes over uh, Bosnia in 1995. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it's expanded since then, of course, it toppled Muammar Gaddafi in Libya. Uh, NATO forces... Yeah, that uh, worked out well. That worked out well, exactly, yeah. Um, NATO um, put forces in Afghanistan after 9-11. Uh, and it's also funny, I'm, I'm looking well. at... I'm looking at, yeah, I'm looking at Laurel Miller's uh, uh, Twitter line right now, and, and she's tweeting about uh, how the Americans have just finally left uh, Afghanistan. <laughs> before before we got on, on this uh, call, I was reading some, some articles about how the Taliban are rapidly retaking mm-hmm. the whole of Afghanistan. You know, and I'm uh, reminded... No, no sooner have we joined NATO, we'll already have a defeat <laughs> under our belt. That's, that's quite a good, you know, good like an accomplishment for yes, our side. exactly. So, <laughs> I won't say it's because you joined NATO, but, uh, yeah, you, you, you joined a, 
if anything, we contributed millennial uh, experience in uh, controlling uh, and actually you know, pretty successful establishment of a pretty successful uh, operation in uh, foreign occupation operation in in, in <laughs> Afghanistan. But exactly. yeah, held on for quite a while. <laughs> I, look, for for the United States to do nation building, which I don't agree with. Um, but if the population of the United States of America, if the citizens, by a large margin, said, yes, we want our country to en engage in nation-building, then so be it. But Americans just don't have the patience for that. And I, and I think back mm. to Britain. Um, actually, here's, a, here's an interesting line um, from Pardue. He says, patience is not a characteristic of American policy. <laughs> but if we're going to if we're going to yeah if we're going to do nation building we have to take a page from the British. The British occupied and ran India for two hundred years. Mm -hmm. First with the British East India Company from about the seventeen fifties to eighteen fifty seven. Then you had the Indian rebellion rebellion in eighteen fifty seven. Then you had the British Raj, which lasted until the independence mm -hmm. of of uh, India. And of course, uh, then you get Pakistan and and. And as they leave the region, many other countries uh, spring up. Uh, but 200 years of occupation. I mean, we just celebrated our 245th anniversary. So if we were to occupy yeah. if a country for, or a region or a, an area for 200 years, uh, that's you know, most of our existence, uh, four-fifths. Uh, so the British were not crazy at the time when they did this. I mean, they still had <laughs> some sound economic and political principles they were guided by. Right. Well, the U.S. now, the type of people who are sent on these missions, by and large, are crazy. <laughs> Is that the technical term? Crazy. I mean, when, <laughs> when they see, I mean, uh, you have to explain to them, boys have a penis, girls have a vagina part. <laughs> and they, 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 will disagree, they will argue with you over that. So yeah. that, that, that's technically crazy. They're crazy. Yeah. Well, that, that's a whole, that's the... Um... Uh, of course, everything is downstream from culture, including politics. Mm. And so our cultural heights here, whether it's the media, Hollywood, universities, academia, think tanks, mm. foundations, um, even sports, big business, all taken over by this, to use your term, this crazy yeah. thought, the, the crazy philosophy. F frankly, a religion is what it is, a wokeism. Yeah. Uh, when that happens, then yes, then it's all, mm. the center cannot hold, to quote Yeats. Yeah. Um, so, um, anyway. I wouldn't yeah. mind being ruled by a you know, foreign power which would stop conflict in the region. The U.S. does not do that, as we discussed on, in Purdue in 2001 and 2015 in Macedonia. At least with us, apparently, you know, the, the conflicts after the Bosnia and the Kosovo War are in Macedonia and the U.S. does not stop them. And... Uh, I would not mind being ruled by a country which has uh, at least some semblance of normalcy in its ideology. It doesn't have to be like fully, you know, Grover Norquist style free marketeering and re reducing the welfare state. I'd be, you know, moderately happy, you know, flat tax is good, like some deregulations, fine, free trade, you know, the, the usual, nothing fancy. Yeah. These people are crazy. Yeah. I, I agree, and and I and I wonder to go back to uh, my uh, my thoughts on the founding in 1776 and our recent uh, mm -hmm. birthday celebration here. 
I don't know how much longer the American experiment is going to last, but I can tell you this with certainty. It won't last forever because nothing ever does. All institutions are subject to decay and failure. And the institutions that, that hold up this country are in that process of decaying. And eventually it will all fall apart. What replaces it, I don't know. Is it China? Is it Russia? Is it some global governance system? Is it chaos? Is it anarchy? I don't know. But it will be replaced by something because power abhors a vacuum, to use a trite saying, but it's true in this case. Uh, but the American experiment cannot last. Uh, actually, a quick aside, I, I noticed uh, one of my friends on Facebook recently, a Macedonian, was very proudly talking about his new American citizenship. And I, I, I wanted to say, I'm so sorry, <laughs> but, but I, I could, I could, that would not be fair to him or to anybody yeah. reading that. So I, I said, congratulations on joining the experiment. Yeah. So, and it is. Yeah, it's quite an, it is, is the citizenship uh, requirement test like changed? Do you have to say, well, yeah, of course the U.S. is racist and the worst country ever. <laughs> not yet, no. <laughs> do you have to know all the, by name, all the, you know, tribes that were an annihilated of you know, Native Americans? <laughs> I did, oh, by the way, and you know, I post a, a, a picture of the uh, the U.S. flag in front of my house on the Independence mm -hmm. Day here, and and a, a quote from um, interesting. I encourage readers to go back and and uh, and and read it if they haven't, and most I guarantee you haven't. Calvin Cool, President Calvin Coolidge's uh, mm -hmm. 150th anniversary speech on July 4, uh, 1926. Uh, excellent, really excellent. But anyway, uh -huh. I posted that on Facebook, and I had a couple people, uh, a couple Macedonians, you know, make some snide comments like Indian killers and things like that. So really, yeah, yeah uh, I deleted them. Um, well, they're, they're, I guess they're practicing for their citizenship test. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I if you're if if you're going to be that rude, then you know, and if yeah. you really do think I'm I'm we're killers, then we shouldn't be friends in the, in the first place, <laughs> even if it's just Facebook friends. Yeah. So, but uh, um, meanwhile, in Macedonia, the U.S. embassy celebrated the fourth by setting fire to the Caliph Fortress. Yes, I, I saw that. <laughs> Idiots! What? Idiots! What? what happened there? That was too funny. I mean, to be fair, it, it happens. I mean, it's summer, sure. scorching, you know, the dry grass. It happens on the on the hill. You know, obviously, yeah. the U.S. wanted to have the the hill right next to the Caliph Fortress. Like, is it the Caliph Fortress the symbol of? rule of Skopje, you know, whoever rules the fortress governs yes. Skopje, and right on the next hill is the, is the embassy, the, the government building practically, from where the, the governor's building, uh, the governor's residence, and um, they had this huge uh, fireworks display, it was actually pretty loud, I think it was, again, a show of force, people, at least people saw it like that, and uh, it, it came a few days after Phil Ricker and Matthew Palmer were in Ohrid. No number of people invited for this press meeting. Uh, a, a media outlet close to SDSM, but funded lavishly by the US to the tune of millions of dollars, asks a question Do you have a message for Vemera? And Ricker says, uh, You know, press pay is a done deal, don't try to undermine it. So, you know, all was show of force. And then some errant uh, firework uh, ended in the dry grass, and it was, you know, pretty solid fire. It was, mm. I've seen fires there before. This was a bi pretty big one. <laughs> I mean, not, no damage, nobody injured, yeah. there are no houses, etc. But still, it was a good, good uh, way to end the celebration. It, it, and it and it speaks volumes. Um, you 
know, after all that, that um, not, I want to get away from this, and, and I do it myself, so I'm to blame, but I know a lot of others do it. It's it's not the Americans that are doing it, it's the State Department. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, it's the, the State Department, I've, I've never met anybody who was good at the State Department. Yeah. Um, not, now I haven't had a lot of interaction with the State Department officials in a long time, but when I did, none of them were good, so... Um, yeah. So anyway, yeah, that was uh, that was quite amusing to see that uh, <laughs> the, 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 the State Department uh, basically started a fire on Calais. And it's worth pointing out, by the way, um, going back to, I think we were talking about Larry Butler a couple of weeks ago, uh, former U.S. ambassador there, who you and I chased off of Twitter. Uh, yeah. He was the uh, American ambassador that arranged for the new embassy to be built on Calais. Uh, okay. And I clearly remember there were, uh, I remember... 15,000 Macedonians signed up, signed a petition over a three-day period during the, in the rain. They just stood in line and were signing this petition saying, please preserve Kale as a culture, a place of culture and history and, and, uh, and, and do not build your embassy there, build it somewhere else. There's plenty of other good places. And uh, the, Amer the State Department, see I almost said it, the State Department said, you know, there's a big middle finger to Macedonia and the Macedonians saying, no, we're going to build it up here so that you can look up at us and we can, we can yeah. look down upon you. Um, just from a security standpoint, uh, I think it would have been much better to have it near, nearer to the airport. Um, yeah. I, think that's yeah. where, I think that's where we built our embassy in Zagreb. For the, for the eventual evacuation. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So, uh, when the Chinese take over. Yeah. No, the protests against the embassy ended when the U.S. obviously recognized the... Macedonia's uh, name, the constitutional name, Republic of Macedonia. In 2004, the protests were still ongoing, and uh, you know the the media act activities uh, in the protests. But then, after um, this huge grand gesture was made by the U.S., obviously everybody said, "Okay, fine, build whatever you want, wherever you want it." And then the U.S. in 2015 reversed on its decision, which was one of the biggest betrayals. I mean, comparable to not stopping the Uchaka terrorists from crossing the border from the U.S. held Kosovo in 2001. Right. Well, on that note, we're running a little bit late here. I gotta run, I gotta get to the office. Uh, why don't we, uh, why don't we draw this to a close? And, and a bit of a housekeeping for listeners, I think we'll, we'll we're gonna do these you know, once every ten days, maybe three times a month instead of yeah. every week. I, I, we haven't been is really the summer consistent in that. Yeah, but yeah, for the summer at least. So uh, maybe we'll do one next the weekend of the seventeenth, eighteenth, somewhere around there. Uh, mm -hmm. What is today? The sixth. Yeah. So anyway, um, always good to catch up with you. Yeah, you too, buddy. Take care. <laughs>